Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics. Go to zbiotics.com/cbs to get 15% off your first order when you use code CBS at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So, if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/cbs and use the code CBS at checkout for 15% off. Thank you Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. There have been dramatic developments overnight in the Mideast as the Israelis step up air and artillery strikes, now firing missiles into southern Gaza, an area where they'd earlier urged residents to evacuate, as well as the occupied West Bank and two airports in Syria. There are still five to 600 Americans trapped in Gaza and at least 10 Americans who are unaccounted for and potentially hostages of Hamas. Plus, there are clashes at Israel's northern border with Lebanon, home to the Iranian-backed terror group Hezbollah. Overnight, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin deployed additional air defense systems in response to recent attacks on U.S. troops in the region. We have a lot to get to today, but we begin in Israel with Charlie Daggett. The full force of Israeli airstrikes and artillery resumed overnight and this morning. And a rare airstrike in the West Bank on a suspected Hamas terror cell in Jenin. Two weeks of heavy bombardment has left Gaza in ruins with a death toll that surpassed 4,300 people, another 13,000 injured. There had been a brief lull with the release of American hostages Judith Ronan and her daughter Natalie from Chicago, the first and only hostages to emerge from captivity. Rescuing the rest in the middle of an expected full-scale invasion presents an unprecedented challenge, the former head of an Israeli special forces unit told us. This is the responsibility of the state to 200 hostages, infants, wounded. There's no way the country can move without taking this into consideration. This would be an element in the handling of the war. A war Israeli forces are readying more than 350,000 reservists for. What we've witnessed is a steady buildup of hundreds of thousands of Israeli troops and heavy equipment like this in staging areas all pointed in one direction about a mile from Gaza. The stated aim of the complete destruction of Hamas means an invasion on a scale never seen here before. Former Major General Israel Ziv once commanded Israeli forces in Gaza. We're completely changing the tactics. Mm -hmm. We're going to use a lot of fire. We don't want to play to their hands, uh, to their traps, uh, to, to whatever they prepare for us. 
This morning, the Israeli spokesman said that that strike on a suspected terrorist cell in Jenin eliminated what he called a ticking bomb, while the wave of attacks overnight in Gaza City resulted in the deaths of dozens of Hamas militants. That's Charlie Daggett, a reporting from Tel Aviv. MTS Tayyib spent time in Ramallah over the weekend, and he is back in West Jerusalem. Well, across the Middle East and around the world, we've seen massive demonstrations in solidarity with Palestinians. In London, over 100,000 people took to the streets of the British capital demanding an end to Israel's war in Gaza. There's also been similar scenes in Arab capitals, from Sana'a in war-torn Yemen to Cairo, where the Egyptian president, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, called for a, quote, day of rage just hours after his phone call with President Biden earlier this week. It was a phone call in which a deal was reached between Egypt, the U.S. and Israel to allow 20 trucks of desperately needed humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip, which started arriving only yesterday. On the Israeli-occupied West Bank, the violence there is only getting worse. We were at one protest where we witnessed Israeli snipers shoot at least three Palestinians. Now, earlier, we spoke with Mustafa Barghouti, the president of the Palestinian National Initiative and a member of the Palestinian Legislative Council since 2006. I'm shattered. I'm angry, uh, mainly because I don't understand why this all should happen. But what breaks my heart so much is the suffering of civilians whether Palestinian or Israeli. And what I don't understand, why the President of the United States comes here and instead of telling Israel enough is enough, you wanted to respond, you responded, you already killed 4,000 Palestinians, stop. Instead of that, he's encouraging them to have an invasion, a ground invasion. So you think President Biden's visit was a catastrophic mistake? Catastrophic from three aspects. First, it was a huge political and diplomatic failure as I told you, because nobody wanted to meet with him except Israelis. Second, it's a strategic mistake because he's dragging the United States into a very dangerous area where war crimes are committed. And third, because he is consolidating the absence of peace process. Do you see a scenario where this ends? Yes, one scenario. There is no other scenario. Immediate change of the behavior of Western leaders who are now participating in encouraging Netanyahu to commit these war crimes. And, uh, to, and the United States is the only country that has the real leverage over Israel. And they should tell Israel, stop. Stop, enough. Let's have ceasefire. Let's have immediate exchange of prisoners so that all Israeli prisoners would come back home safe. And let's initiate a true peace process to solve the roots of the problem, which is occupation, and the system of apartheid. Now, efforts to create a Palestinian state have been at a standstill for years now, largely because Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's successive hard-right governments have been firmly opposed to it. And while the Biden administration continues to back calls for a peace process that would lead to a two-state solution, it's done very little practically and diplomatically to advance that goal. And after Hamas's brutal attack and a looming Israeli ground war in Gaza, it's a goal that seems even further away than ever. We go now to Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who is at the State Department. Good morning to you, Mr. Secretary. Morning, Margaret. Good to be with you. Tension is very high in the region. Are you changing your security posture? Are you pulling any U.S. personnel out of the area? Margaret, we are concerned at the, the possibility of uh, Iranian proxies escalating their attacks against our own personnel, uh, our own people. Um, we're taking every measure to make sure that we can defend them and, if necessary, respond decisively. Not at all what we're looking for, not at all what we want, but we'll be prepared if that's what they choose to do. So that sounds like quite possibly uh, pulling people out. Um, in terms of the threat from Iran you just referenced there, President Biden in his Oval Office address said that the U.S. would hold Iran accountable. What does accountable mean? Well, what you've seen already, uh, Margaret, is very, a very clear message from the president, backed up by the deployment of um, two of our largest aircraft carrier battle groups, uh, to make sure that it's clear no one should take advantage of this moment 
to, to escalate uh, to further attacks on Israel or, for that matter, attacks on us, on our personnel. Uh, and this is not by way of, uh, in terms of what we're doing by, by provocation. Uh, it's designed to deter, designed to make clear that no one should use this moment in any way to escalate. We'll stay tuned. Um, in terms of what's happening in Gaza, I know there are an estimated five to 600 Americans there. Is there any chance Israel lets some of those Americans out or Egypt allows some of those Americans in? You're exactly right. And to date, at least, Hamas has blocked them from leaving, showing once again its total disregard for civilians of any kind uh, who, are, who are stuck in Gaza. Have you asked the Israeli government to delay in order to give you more time to broker the release of these hostages? First, step back for a second, because it's important to remember what happened. It's incredible how quickly that gets lost, because it was only a couple of weeks ago that Hamas invaded Israel with uh, its terrorist fighters and slaughtered, and I use that, that word very deliberately, slaughtered so many uh, people, again, right. men, women, young children, babies, uh, old people, uh, you name it. And they continue to rain rockets down on Israel. When I was there a few days ago, we, were in the, we, were, we had to take shelter a couple of times because of Understood. incoming rockets from Hamas. So my point is this, no country, no country can be expected to tolerate this, uh, to live with this. And as we said from the start, Israel has both the, the right and even the obligation, not only to defend itself, but to try to make sure that, to the best of its ability, this can't happen again. So we talk to the Israelis about uh, uh, what, they're, what they're planning. Uh, we give them our best advice. It's important, as we said, not only what they do, but how they do it, particularly mm -hmm. when it comes to making sure that civilians are as protected as they possibly can be in this crossfire of Hamas is making. But in terms of what we're talking to Israel about in their, with regard to their military operations, it really is focused on uh, both how they do it and how best to achieve the results that they seek. So let's talk about how they do it. Um, you're, you're right to lay out just how absolutely horrific that attack was two weeks ago. Turning the page to what has happened during the following two weeks, UNICEF says 1,524 children have been killed in the Gaza Strip during these bombings. Why isn't the U.S. calling for at least a temporary ceasefire? First, Margaret, when I hear the stories, when I see the pictures of young children who have lost their lives in this conflict of Hamas is making, whoever they are, wherever they are, whether they're Palestinians, uh, whether they're Israelis, whether they're, they're Jews or Muslims. It hits me, and I know it hits virtually everyone, right in the heart. And that's why it's so important to do everything possible uh, to protect them, uh, and why it's so important to do everything possible to get assistance to those who need it. So Food, why not ask for at least a, a temporary pause in the bombing, we've, as was proposed at the seen, this week? We've seen, first of all, that uh, in order to get assistance in, um, we've, had, uh, we've had that happen. And you saw the first 20 trucks go in yesterday. I expect more will follow today. And the day after that, we want to make sure that we have sustained delivery of, of, of food, medicine, water, the things that people need. At the same time, uh, I said something a minute ago that, that we, have to re we have to remember. Um, Israel has to do everything it can to make sure this doesn't happen again. Um, freezing things in place where they are now would allow Hamas to remain where it is and to repeat what it's done sometime in the future. No country could accept that. Um, one of my colleagues uh, who is on the ground in Israel and has traveled to the West Bank conducted an interview with Mr. Mustafa Barghouti, a pol Palestinian politician, I'm sure you know. Mm. He said he doesn't understand why President Biden, when he was in Israel, did not say enough is enough. You wanted to respond and you responded. You killed 4,000 Palestinians. Stop. Instead, you're encouraging a ground invasion. How do you respond to enough is enough. Uh, enough is enough should have been uh, the case with, uh, with Hamas uh, two weeks ago. Uh, it would be good to hear the entire world speaking clearly and with one voice about the actions that Hamas took, about the slaughter of people, about the fact that that should be absolutely intolerable, unacceptable, 
to anyone, anywhere, any country, mm -hmm. any people. Um, second. In terms of U.S. interests in the region, uh, one of America's closest allies, the king of Jordan, gave an impassioned speech saying Palestinian lives seem to matter less than Israeli ones. Our lives matter less than other lives. The application of international law is optional and human rights appear to have boundaries based on races and religions. That's a warning from one of America's closest friends in the region that this is a dangerous message to be sending and it could have blowback. Are you concerned? Margaret, every life Palestinian, Israeli, Jewish, Muslim, Arab, every life has equal worth. When I see the reports, when I see the photographs, uh, when I hear the stories of young children, Palestinian children, who've been killed or injured, it hits me right in the gut too, uh, just as it does when I hear, when I see these other stories, wherever it is. We had, here in our own country, a little boy, six years old, Wadi, in Chicago, who was viciously murdered, apparently uh, because he was a Palestinian-American. Um, a little boy, six years old, didn't do anything to anyone. I feel that strongly across the board, no matter where it is. But this is on Hamas, and the fact is, Hamas doesn't represent the Palestinian people. Mm -hmm. It doesn't represent their just cause. It doesn't represent their aspiration uh, and legitimate aspiration for a state of their own. On the contrary, it does everything to make life worse and more miserable. Does the U.S. assess uh, that it is actually people? possible for Israel to destroy both Hamas as an entity and its ideology? Is it actually a military possibility? Uh, the best way, the only way to defeat an ideology, uh, no matter how warped, uh, and in the case of Hamas, it's about as warped as it possibly can be, is uh, to make sure that there is a better, a clearer uh, alternative for people. And that alternative is very clear, and it's very stark. Mm -hmm. We have, on the one hand, countries throughout the region who want to come together to integrate, to normalize relations, and to lift up the rights of the Palestinian people, uh, to be able to have a future where they work together, go to school together, do business together, travel to each other's countries, that's one vision. Yes. The other vision is the vision that Hamas has. Death, destruction, nihilism, darkness. Now, the responsibility that those of us who believe in the first vision have is to do everything possible to make it real mm -hmm. so that people not only see it, but they can achieve it. That's exactly what we were working on before this horrific uh, attack on October 7th. And that's the vision that we need to get back to. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, um, we also have to deal with the fact that Hamas represents an active, ongoing threat, uh, and that has to be dealt with too. Mr. Secretary, thank you for your time this morning. Thanks, Margaret. And Face the Nation will be back in one minute with former Congresswoman Liz Cheney, so stay with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We're now joined by former Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney. Good morning and good to have you here in person. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Good to be here. Well, it, we've been talking about what's happening in the Middle East right now. I know you watch the region closely. Um, President Biden counseled Netanyahu during his trip to Israel last week and repeated a certain phrase I want to play for you here in his Oval Office address. But I caution this while you feel that rage. Don't be consumed by it. 
After 9-11, we were enraged in the United States. While we sought justice and got justice, we also made mistakes. And that was a, a nod to uh, 9-11 and the U.S. Uh, invasion of Iraq, potentially an overreach. Do you agree with that warning President Biden is issuing there, that there is the risk here of Israel taking actions that could backfire on their own security? I think that our support and defense of Israel needs to be unwavering. I think that for the most part, that's what President Biden has demonstrated. Uh, I thought that most of the themes that he laid out in his Oval Office address were exactly right about the importance of American leadership, the importance of understanding this is a battle between the forces of freedom and the forces of tyranny and terrorism. Uh, with respect to his comments about 9-11 and post-9-11, uh, I, I would say the fact that we had not a single additional terrorist attack mass casualty terrorist attack in over 20 years now demonstrates that that the steps that we took were, in fact, effective. And I would say the biggest mistake, frankly, post 9-11 was the hasty withdrawal from Afghanistan that, that President Trump started, President Biden completed. So Something I think we need to set way. that we need to set set our differences about those issues aside. We certainly do have them. But with respect to what's happening in the world today, mm -hmm. I think it's crucially important for the world to see that the United States we are united across party lines in the defense of Israel and in the importance of the destroying Hamas, uh, and also a very strong warning uh, that the president has issued to Iran. Yeah. And, and that, frankly, the Biden administration policy needs to be changed to make it consistent with the kind of warning that we've seen. But in terms of that comment about reacting from a place of rage and unintended consequences, Secretary Blinken said, the only way to defeat an ideology is by offering a better alternative. What is a better alternative for a conflict that has been going on for this many decades? The, there is no uh, notion in which um, uh, this is a battle of ideologies when you look at what Hamas did. And I think that the world has moved on far too quickly from what Hamas did. Hamas slaughtered innocents. They invaded Israel and they slaughtered women and children and tortured people and raped people. And the fact that the world has moved on from that now, um, that is an ideology, if it even is one, of evil. And so the way to battle that is making sure that you destroy Hamas, making sure that we send a very clear message to Iran, mm -hmm. uh, that Iran will face severe consequences if it tries to get involved here. We also, though, need to recognize the, the rising anti-Semitism and the expressions of anti-Semitism that we have seen across our country and across the world since October 7th must be uh, absolutely rejected, and the world must stand against that. So this is not a you know, moral equivalence. Uh, this is not a peace process question. This was out and, and out slaughter, uh, and, and we absolutely stand against that. Mm -hmm. And CBS continues to tell those stories. So just to be clear, uh, the journalists have not moved on. Um, when will you make a decision about whether you want to run for president of the United States? Well, what I am doing uh, right now, what I will continue to do is very much focus on making sure that we get people elected at all levels who are serious, people who believe in the Constitution. I think we're at a moment in this nation where we certainly have seen we face significant threats internationally. We've got Iran, Russia, North Korea, China arrayed against us. Yeah. This is a threat atmosphere that we have not seen certainly since the end of World War II. Bob Gates said ever. Right. But, but yes. also said right. there's no presidential alternative in terms of a affirmative vision for America's role in the world. Have you heard any candidates for president offer that vision? Uh, I think that certainly you have seen some. Um, I think that it needs to be a much louder, uh, we need a much louder voices within both parties, within my own party. I don't even know how I should call it my own party. Within the Republican Party right now, the extent to which you're seeing people suggest that we should abandoned Ukraine, uh, which essentially is surrendering in this battle between freedom and, and tyranny. Uh, and, and that would be very dangerous for our security. Uh, as you know, this massive national security package can't pass until there's a speaker of the House. Correct. Uh, last month, you said Congressman Patrick McHenry would make a great speaker of the House, or it was earlier in October in his speech. He says he's not looking for a job. What is the vision for it? Is there anyone who can lead? Is a is he an alternative? Look, I think what you're seeing right now and among the Republicans in the House is a direct result of the decisions that Kevin McCarthy made to 
uh, embrace uh, Donald Trump, to embrace the most radical and extreme members of our party, to elevate them. Um, so it's not a surprise that we are where we are, but but it's a disgrace and it's an embarrassment. And there certainly are serious people uh, among the Republicans. Uh, I hope that that one of them, particularly, I think it's important somebody not be an election denier. And I also think everybody should be asked tomorrow night at the candidate forum about this issue of Ukraine assistance. And they should be asked from the perspective of, we face a global challenge, an existential threat. Mm-hmm. And how in the world could anybody defend at this moment uh, surrendering to one of our adversaries uh, by walking away from Ukraine? What do you think is driving the domestic threats against lawmakers within the Republican Party and also uh, among some Democrats? The domestic threats are absolutely being driven by uh, Donald Trump and and unfortunately, some of his supporters who, in fact, have encouraged and taken steps that have resulted in, as we saw on January 6th, political violence. When you have a member of Congress reportedly, uh, like uh, Warren Davidson from Ohio, who in the meeting with Jim Jordan last week, when some of the holdouts raised with Jordan the fact that they were getting death threats, Mm -hmm. one of them told me that in response, Congressman Davidson said, well, that's not Jim Jordan's fault. That's your fault for voting against him. That is the kind of encouragement and acceptance of violence that is absolutely uh, has no place in this party, should have no place in our country. It is. Um, Congresswoman, it's great to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you, Margaret. Welcome back to Face the Nation. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell has not done many interviews this year, but he invited us to Capitol Hill Friday to talk about President Biden's request to Congress for more than $100 billion in aid for Ukraine, Israel, and U.S. border security. And that's where our conversation began. We have big power competition from China, from Russia, and we still have terrorism problems as the Israelis have certainly experienced in a brutal way in the last week. Mm -hmm. So I think it requires a worldwide approach rather than trying to take parts of it out. It's all connected. The Chinese and the Russians said they're now friends forever. Iranian Mm -hmm. drones are being used in Ukraine and against the Israelis. There's resistance among some Republicans, including here in the Senate, about bundling things together. Is it possible to pass Ukraine aid if it's not tied to Israel? I just think that's a mistake. I I, I mean, I know there are some Republicans in the Senate and maybe more in the House that Mm -hmm. think Ukraine is somehow different. I view it as all interconnected. And you've said that you believe there is enough oversight of aid to Ukraine. Why hasn't that persuaded some members of the of the Republican caucus? If you look at the Ukraine assistance, let's let's talk about where the money's really going. A significant portion of it's being spent in the United States in 38 different states, replacing the weapons that we sent to Ukraine with more modern weapons. So we're rebuilding our industrial base. That's what President Biden's seeking to do. It's, it's correct. No Americans are getting killed in Ukraine. We're re- rebuilding our industrial base. Uh, the Ukrainians are destroying the army of one of our biggest rivals. I have a hard time finding anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful that they're defending themselves. And also the notion that the Europeans are not doing enough They've done almost $90 billion. They're housing a bunch of refugees who escaped. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, our NATO allies in Europe have done quite a lot. You sound like you have a lot in common with President Biden in his worldview, based on what you just laid out. Well, not on the domestic side, <laughs> but on, on this issue that we were discussing today, we're generally in the same place. On the issue of Israel, that does seem to be uh, a unifying issue for many Republicans. Um, And I want to ask you about this $10 billion request the president is making. Do you think there need to be any provisions in there uh, that would account for the risk of human rights rights violations uh, in Gaza? Well, we want to make sure we're not sending money to Hamas, I can tell you that. But there are genuine humanitarian needs mm-hmm. uh, for the people in Gaza who are not Hamas, uh, who've been thrown under the bus by what Hamas did, innocent people. 
But we, we want to be careful about how the money is spent, be sure it actually gets where it's supposed to get. For any military aid that's going to Israel right now, do you think there needs to be, need to be strings attached? Israel's our strongest ally in the world. Uh, we trust them, and we have a very tight relationship with them, both on an intelligence side and the military side. So I, I don't think the kind of oversight we're talking about for Ukraine, for example, would be necessary for Israel. You know, to do all of these things, you need a partner in Congress. Uh, Senator Welch said you are the only Republican negotiator right now because of all the disarray in the House. How can you deliver on this at a time when you're saying it's essential? Well, I hope we're going to have a speaker sometime soon. And we... Before we, November 17th? We, we need one. Funding? We need one because the House can't do anything without a speaker. And um, it, it's, a, it's a problem, but I hope it's going to get solved pretty quickly. Is there anyone in the House who can lead the Republicans? Look, I, I'm not an expert on the House. I have my hands full here in the Senate, and uh, we're going to do our job and hope the House can get functional here sometime soon. There is no current U.S. ambassador to Israel right now. Um, and some of your Republican colleagues have voiced concerns about President Biden's nominee. Do you have concerns about Jack Lew? Uh, he is a very controversial nominee because of his relationship with the Iran nuclear deal, which was opposed by everybody in my party. And uh, by the way, the, I hope that flirtation with Iran is finally over with regard to the nuclear deal. And Senator Cotton and I also have a bill to freeze the $6 billion that was on the way to the Iranians in relation to the hostage release. Well, so, it's in Qatar, and the White House says Iran hasn't been able to make any withdrawals from it. Yeah, but we'd like to make it law so that it can't be undone. Look, I think we need to get tougher with Iran, and I do think the weakness of both the Obama administration and the Biden administration is the thought that somehow we could do business with Iran on something. And I think it's pretty clear we can't. I mean, they're funding Hezbollah, Hamas, creating problems all over the Middle East, and uh, we shouldn't be doing any business with them. President Biden said he's going to hold Iran accountable. What yeah, do you think well, that means? I think the proof will be what are we going to do to hold them accountable? And uh, that's, it's got to be credible. You, ca you can't, on the one hand, be negotiating with Iran on some kind of nuclear deal that you know they won't keep and then turn around and uh, de declare that you're going to get tougher with Iran. I think, number one, uh, quit talking to the Iranians about any kind of nuclear deal. Number two, don't give them the $6 billion. And number three, back up the Israelis in every conceivable way after this attack by Iran-sponsored Hamas. You, you oppose all diplomacy with Iran. It's not a question of mm -hmm. whether you ever talk to them or not, but it's a question of what, what do you do? What do you do? And clearly, the nuclear deal that the Obama administration agreed to and that the Biden administration tried to reconnect mm -hmm. uh, is, is not the way to go. There's an axis of evil in the world, China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. And we need to stand up to the axis of evil, not try to do business with them. I want to ask you as well about the moment here in Washington that we are in. A number of members of Congress, including Representatives Miller Meeks, Ferguson, Bacon, Ken Buck, have said just this week that they have had death threats against them. How concerned are you about violence against lawmakers working here? Well, I, I think there have been more threats lately, and I am concerned about it. Are you concerned about more political violence going into an election year here? Look, uh, I think since 9-11 the, the, uh, and, and January 6th, 
we've had heightened security here at the Capitol. I'm sure we're a target for all kinds of evildoers, both in the United States and abroad. People wonder about your health. How are you feeling? How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm completely recovered and uh, just fine. Uh, you and your office felt the need to, to share and disclose some of the details about your health because of some of these public incidents. And the doctor here said there was no evidence of Parkinson's disease or a stroke or, or a seizure. Um, and I wonder, is there anything the public should know that wasn't disclosed? Uh, I'm in good shape, completely recovered, and back on the job. So does that mean that you think you are able to continue serving and you want to continue serving here at a time when we are talking about incredible dysfunction in Washington? I think we ought to be talking about what we were talking about earlier rather than my health. You've made clear you have a lot of policy disagreements with the former president, Donald Trump. Doesn't it trouble you that he is the front runner for the Republican nomination, given the questions he has raised about aid for Ukraine, for example? I'm not going to comment on the various candidates for president on either side. I've got my hands full here in the Senate. Uh, former Secretary of Defense Gates told us this is one of the most dangerous moments that he has ever seen for our country. And we're talking about the basic functioning of our democracy being a problem right now. Um, I'll, I'll ask you again, who can lead the Republican Party, not just in the House, but to deliver on the vision that you are laying out here? Typically, it's the candidate for president when you have a presidential election who becomes obviously the most visible person in your party. And we don't know who that's going to be yet. In the meantime, we have divided government. We have a job to do. The election's not until next year. Dabbling in the presidential election is something I'm just not going to do. I don't think it's productive. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great-tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great-tasting, high-quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Philippe Lazzarini is the Commissioner General of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees. The U.S. is its largest donor. Good afternoon to you. Good morning, Margaret. Um, I, I want to go straight to questions, but I did want to first acknowledge um, our condolences. I saw that 29 of your employees were killed in Gaza, according to the announcement, some while sleeping in their beds at home during these bombings. Um, we're sorry. Uh, can you tell us what people at home need to know about what's happening inside of Gaza right now? Well, li li listen, uh, Gaza, it's an unprecedented uh, humanitarian crisis, uh, which is uh, unfolding under our watch. Uh, we have one million people who have uh, moved from their home. The Gaza city has been, uh, the entire neighborhood uh, have been flattered down. Uh, hospitals have been hit. Uh, people in our shelter have been hit. More than 30 installations of the UN have been also hit. Uh, Thousands of people have been killed there. And as you indicated, we have 29 staff also killed uh, among our workers. They are all teachers, doctors, gynecologists, psychosocial workers. And certainly, we might have uh, more people to come. What we know also is Gaza is under a total siege until yesterday. Absolutely nothing entered into Gaza. Well, I saw that those 20 trucks did make it in yesterday through the Rafah gate, but that the U.N. estimates that's, what, 4% of an average day imports. 
Secretary Blinken said he expects more trucks. What do you know about what aid is coming? But what we need is a significant scaling up of a supply line into Gaza, and it needs to be sustained and it needs to be uninterrupted. Before October 7, we had up to 500 trucks entering into Gaza, and this was under a blockade at a time already 80% of the population was dependent of international assistance. So we need, we need Margaret much more than that. Under, understood. I do want you to address something, though, that got a lot of political attention here in the United States. Um, there was a tweet from your agency that strongly implied aid was being taken by authorities who have links to Hamas. That tweet was then deleted from your account and UNRWA issued a statement saying no looting had taken place. Was there looting? Is aid ending up in the hands of terrorists? There was absolutely no looting. Um, medicine and fuel have been taken from our headquarters in uh, Gaza, at, uh, uh, in Gaza City, and that has been handed over to uh, local uh, health workers coordinated with the local coordinator of the World Health Organization. And this uh, material ended up in the various hospitals, and the fuel which has been taken also ended up in the hospital. And you are running short on fuel now. Today, I issued a statement, an alarm, because in three, four days, we will have no fuel anymore in Gaza. And what does it mean? No fuel, no water, no bakery, uh, no running a hospital. But be, be beyond that, that means also there will be no humanitarian operation. We need fuel uh, to move the trucks to reach the people in need. This week, uh, you said UNRWA was on the verge of collapse. There was already a $75 million shortfall. President Biden did announce uh, that the U.S. would provide about $100 million to help Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank from already allocated funds. Will that help your organization? But do you, as you mentioned, the U.S. is our largest donor for the time being. I do not know yet the breakdown of this $100 million additional dollar. But it is true that our agency has been weakened for one decade of financial crisis. And if there is no in, in input of additional financial resources, we will certainly not be up to the challenge. And we are, for the Palestinian in the Gaza Strip, but also in the West Bank, the main lifeline and the main hope for them. You are essentially filling the void of a government in providing some of these services. Um, UNRWA, will it be able to continue operating after Israel launches this expected ground invasion? Listen, I, I have no intent to interrupt any operation we have to continue to advocate to keep the border open, to bring fuel inside, to bring the supply inside, and also asking to the Israeli and, and, and also the uh, armed group in the Gaza Strip, the Hamas, not to target any civilian infrastructure, not to target our shelter where we have half a million people seeking a protection in the UNRWA school. And basically, whether there is a ground evasion or not, we need to continue to provide assistance and protection to the civilian more than ever. Thank you very much, Mr. Commissioner General, for your time. We'll be back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. 
I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. According to the Israeli government, there are more than 200 hostages being held in Gaza, including some Americans. President Biden has vowed to get them all out. Freeing hostages from captivity is one of the most sensitive and complicated forms of diplomacy. Just last month, five Americans held hostage in Iran were finally freed in a controversial deal that involved $6 billion in Iranian oil revenue. I spoke to Ahmad Shargi, one of those hostages, for tonight's 60 Minutes. Here's part of that interview. That emotional up and down and the isolation, I mean, how are you getting yourself mentally through all of this? You think about what other people in life have gone through, and everything is relative. You know, we know people who've gone through far, far worse things. So you always count your blessing, and you just make sure that that day turns into night, and one day, one more day, it's finished, and perhaps you are one more day closer to freedom. How do you do that? How do you stay sane? All those times, there was never a doubt in my mind that my government would get me out. That was my hope. Why did you think that? I had to cling on to something. Mm -hmm. The only hope I had is that I was an American, that I was caught because of the blue passport I kept in my pocket. I knew my government would come to get me. I just didn't know when. Tell me what it was like for you when you landed back on U.S. soil for the first time at Fort Belvoir. On the aircraft, for the first time in five and a half years, we felt like human beings again. And to be treated like a human being again, was it's a wonderful feeling. Um, everyone was extremely nice to us. It was a jovial atmosphere. And landing right outside of Washington at Fort Belvoir was amazing. Just to come over the city at around 5.15 in the morning, all the lights of the suburbs were on. We could see the, the lights of D.C. We landed and we opened the door and stepped out. Our families rushed towards us. I hadn't seen my daughters for five and a half, six years. I had missed all the graduations, birthdays, anniversaries with my wife. Uh, it's like being born again. So, you know, we hug, we kiss. We had thought we were going to be freed so many times, and this was it. And then you walk out, and then you see American servicemen and women in uniform at 5.30 in the morning with the American flags on their arms. And they treat you like... They treat you like a human being. Um, people who are at the height of their career, they are there to welcome you home. And they say, welcome home, sir. It's an honor to be here. I shall never be able to look at another American serviceman and servicewoman not remembering those seconds. Uh, I'm forever indebted to them. Uh, they were so kind, they were so nice. When you're, when you're viewed as a criminal for five and a half years, and you come back to that warm reception, it's the greatest boost in the world. Do you think, though, that in giving Iran access to $6 billion, even in a restricted account, it's a significant sum of money, does it incentivize future hostage-taking? Does it put a price on other Americans' heads? Hostage-taking didn't start with us, and it won't end with us. It didn't you know, start with the $6 billion, and it won't stop with the $6 billion. These are macro policies that governments have to come up with to stop this behavior by certain governments around the world, and we all know who they are. Mm -hmm. Now, 
it is incumbent upon us in the United States and in Europe to come up with policies that stops innocent people being taken as hostages. And those policies need to be stronger than sanctioning somebody. And there are at least two dozen Americans considered wrongfully detained and held in countries all around the world. U.S. diplomats are trying to bring them home, in addition to those held by Hamas. We'll have more of my interview with Ahmad Shargi, which will air tonight on 60 Minutes, right after football. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. Today's guests were Secretary of State Antony Blinken, former Wyoming Congresswoman, Republican Liz Cheney, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, and the head of the UN Relief Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees, Philippe Lazzarini. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.34, 10 p.m. Eastern, and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Many put their hope in Dr. Serhat. His company was worth half a billion dollars. His research promised groundbreaking treatments for HIV and cancer. Scientists, doctors, renowned experts were saying, genius, genius, genius. People that knew him were convinced that he saved their life. But the brilliant doctor was hiding a secret. Do not cross this line that was being messaged to us. Do not cross this line. A secret the doctor was desperate to keep. This was a person who was willing to cold-heartedly just lie to people's faces. We're dealing with an international fugitive. From Wondery, the makers of Over My Dead Body and The Shrink Next Door comes a new season of Dr. Death, Bad Magic. You can listen to Dr. Death, Bad Magic ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.